Well, dear church family, this Lord's Day, our concentration will really be on the cost of one's salvation. That's where our thoughts will be, the cost of one's salvation. What it cost the Lord Jesus Christ to lay down, what it cost God to lay down his precious only begotten son's life. And so the cost of salvation, according to the word of God, where the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For ye are bought with a price. Ye are bought with a price. This is talking about costly grace. There is a cost for true discipleship. This truth over the costly salvation which is found in Christ alone, it really flies in the face, does it not? Over the much cheap grace, gospel, which we see, sadly, which is presented in most churches nowadays. Cheap grace, as it were, not costly grace, where there is no cost for becoming a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. The expression cheap grace was first coined by a German theologian and a pastor called Dietrich. I struggle with my German, sorry about that. My wife can speak better German than I can. But his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm not quite sure about all his theology, especially concerning the church's relationship to the state. But this man, this Lutheran, uh, pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer coined, as far as I'm aware, the expression cheap grace. And he was a, a pastor and a theologian during the Second World War. And he wrote a, a book, a little book called The Cost of Discipleship, whilst he was in prison. You see, this man knew what it was really to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was there uh, preaching of the horrors of Nazi Germany and of the Reich, as it were, and the wickedness. Sadly, when many a professing Christian just went with this nationalism, as it were, and there he was preaching over the wickedness that was going on there. And it cost him. It cost him much. He was uh, imprisoned. He wrote this book and he... He was uh, aghast at at how so few Christians actually had what he uh, coined as costly salvation. Many were were, uh, costly grace. Many were showing cheap grace, uh, as it were. And two two or three weeks before the end of the Second World War, um, his faith, of course, cost him his life where he, uh, it was testified of him that he prayed solemnly before he was hung, and he really went with joy uh, to that death. There was a joy and an optimism there. He knew that he would be with his Lord. You see, he could, he could approach death really with joy, joy that uh, he had received this costly grace. And Bonhoeffer asserted that a true Christian's grace from God came at a great cost. 
a great price. It was priceless. It was not a cheap grace, which was very much prevalent then. And sad to say, it is very much prevalent in our day with the easy believism gospel, the social gospel, the gospel, the prosperity gospel. He describes cheap grace as grace without discipleship. Grace without discipleship. Truly following and living and framing one's life around the Lord. Grace without the cross, he describes it as. Uh, Grace without the living incarnate Jesus Christ reigning in our hearts. Living for him, hearing the good shepherd's voice. Speaking through the scriptures. It is forgiveness from God without repentance. He says. Daily repentance over sins. Besetting sins. uh, Relying and utterly upon the Lord. Cheap, Cheap grace means the justification of sin. Excusing sin without the justification of the sinner. Cheap grace is baptism without church discipline. Communion without heartfelt confession. Cheap grace, he says, is the grace we bestow upon ourselves. It is not of God. It is, it is of our own doing. This is cheap grace. Bonhoff really did not mix his words, did he? And no wonder why they wanted to bump him off, as it were, get rid of him. Get him out of sight, out of way, out of sight, as it were. The word of God says... That a, a Christian's salvation and grace has come at a great cost. It's a come at a great price. Ye are bought with a price. This is costly salvation. It costs God everything. God gave his best. And if we neglect so great a salvation that is found in Christ, well, woe unto us, friends, if we accept this cheap grace gospel, this cherry-picking Christianity, this one-foot-in-the-world type of gospel, then woe unto us. The question is, friends, what grace are you under? Are you under? It's not a matter of under the law. We all know that the law can never justify us. But what grace are you under? Are you under cheap grace? Or are you under costly grace? It cost God everything. What grace are you under will affect everything in your life. It will, trans- it will transform utterly your life, what you're living for. And that, of course, that will come for eternity. By nature, we know that all of us are under common grace. We know that God shines and reigns on the just and the unjust. We're all given common grace. We can all be polite We can all be civil, can we not? Um, You can meet people, uh, worldlings, that are more meek, polite and kind than many Christians. That's God's common grace. It's not a a matter of being polite and kind. It's a matter if you're truly following the Lord Jesus. If you've received this costly grace. And so by nature we've all received common grace. The religious hypocrite, however, is under cheap grace. But of course, the true born-again child of God 
who have sought the Lord as the pearl of great price, has sought first the kingdom of God, has truly turned from sin from this world to Christ and has been born again, well, they are under costly grace. Well, what type of grace, dear friends, are you living in? Am I living in? Well, to help answer that question, let us, this Lord's Day, consider the following three points. The following three points in regards to the type of grace that we're under. Firstly, ownership. Ownership. Ye are bought with a price. When you buy something, you possess it. It belongs to the person who's bought it. Ye are bought with a price. Who do you belong to? Who are you possessed by? Secondly, cost. What's the price of your grace? What's the price, secondly, of your grace? For ye are bought with a price. What's the cost, dear friends? And thirdly, love. Thirdly, love. Who do you love the most in life? Who do you give your heart and your mind and your soul to? Firstly, ownership. Secondly, cost. Thirdly, love. Those who are loved and forgiven much, love much, do they not? Well, with this in mind, let us come to our first point, ownership. Who do you and I belong to? Well, for from our earliest of years, dear church family, we are conditioned, and, and this is true of me, even though I, I went to church, my, my mum, praise her, th- th- uh, thankfully to the Lord, took us to church, but uh, for, for, from our earliest of years, we are conditioned really to think that we belong to ourselves. That's the philosophy, the undergirding philosophy of our culture, that we are no better than the animals, as it were, and we must just live for the here and now, just uh, eat and drink and watch telly and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's the undergirding philosophy, that we need to make our own way in this uh, brave new world, as it were. Live for number one, live for yourself, as it were. Live for Hollywood ideals. Young women, you, you must frame yourself around the fashions of this world. You must look a certain way in, in order to get this world's attention. Young men, you must give yourself to gross masculinity. You must have the, the riches and a certain car and all these things. That's the undergirding philosophy, dear friends, in our society. Live for number one. Live for yourself, as it were. It doesn't matter if you break God's laws with, a, with abandon. It doesn't matter if you're unfaithful. If you devour and bite one another, if you gossip behind one another's back, if you try to make your way in the corporate world and step over one another, these things are in fact are celebrated in our culture now. Many such things are celebrated. Football stars, we live in a celebrity culture. These things are lifted up. Many of the people who are stars are abound in these things. And and, uh, we're taught... Live for yourself, express yourself, as it were. You're not accountable to anyone else. 
And for all this, dear friends, is our society more happy? Is our society more happy over its denial, over God's faithful ownership over us? Because he is sovereign over us. He is in control over us. And deep down, and this was true of me, and this is true of every person before they're truly converted, there is an emptiness there. There's a loneliness within, within the natural man's heart. And we try to fill it with the things of this world, that eternal vacuum. We try to fill with the temporary. We try to make our way in life. And nothing can fill that eternal void and vacuum. Because we need to depend upon the gracious love and cost and costly grace of our maker. We need him more than anything. We're made for him. We're made for a higher purpose. We're made to have a relationship with our God. He has made us with faculties that we are, are not to just live for ourselves. And that's the philosophy there. Psalm 24.1 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. We're on lease. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. Our bodies, our temples, they do not belong to us. That's a lie. They belong to God. They're on rent. They're on lease. These bodies, these souls, these spirits, God has made for eternity Friends, they are gods. They belong to him. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. It is the Lord. He is God. We are not God of our own lives. The position is not available. He is God. Dear friends, we think that we're gods. We think that we can escape death, judgment. Now it may be that over time you've come to believe that the evolution is a lie along with the other foolish philosophies of this world. And you now believe in creation. You now believe that even that the God of the Bible is true. You see the world for what it is. You see that there's good in the world and there's evil in the world. And you've questioned where that comes from. You can see you've been woken up to these things, really. And for this, you've done well. But are we not told in James 2.9, the word of God, that even the devils believe that there is one God and also tremble? That's not enough, is it? To know evil and good is not enough. An intellectual assent to biblical truths or even gospel truths is not enough to save us in the, in the end unless it comes with costly grace in Christ. Unless it comes with true saving power wrought by the Holy Spirit of God in a poor wretched sinner's heart. And they truly do turn from the, their sin and they mean it to Christ and totally depend upon him. If the gospel has not radically transformed your heart 
and your mind and your life with new principles and desires, we have been deceived by the cheap grace gospel. Friends, and I'm sad to say that this is the Christianity that we're living in nowadays. A cheap grace gospel. Social gospel. Prosperity gospel. Yes, the name of Jesus is is flaunt about so irreverently, but is he your Lord, Jesus Christ? Is he Lord of your life? Is he Lord of all? Costly grace, dear friends, in the Saviour, comes with a new nature, new principles, new desires, a new spiritual ownership over you, as it were, the Holy Spirit indwelling a new believer, a child And I was this before. A child of the devil becomes a child of the living God. The Apostle Paul says, Ye are bought with a price. You are bought with a price. You belong now. If you are a child of God, if you have closed with Christ, you belong to God. You're no longer your own. Your body doesn't belong to you. Your spirit's doesn't belong to you it belongs to God he owns you he owns your body your soul everything all your faculties they're his Jesus Christ must become Lord of your life not just some of your life not just the parts of your life which are convenient for your lifestyle that's what we see with the cheap grace gospel well it's convenient for me I'm not going to hand over everything. That's going to cost me too much. What will people say? What will people say when I speak up for my Lord? When people say, well, come out shopping with me on the Lord's Day. And I say, well, I can't because I love my Lord. I'm going to worship my resurrected Saviour. Well, come out shopping. He won't mind. You're not, you're not under law anymore. You're under grace. Well, what, cheap, what grace is that? Cheap grace? If there's a cost of discipleship, is there not, dear beloved? There's a cost. Is Christ the Lord? Is Christ the Lord of your decision making? You see, before I was a believer, I professed to be a believer, the Lord wasn't the Lord of my decision making. Who you marry, how your day-to-day life is framed, what entertainment you employ. We're at liberty. I could do these things. Who are married? No problem. That's cheap grace, isn't it? You see, true grace, costly grace, says, yes, I am at liberty, but I, I, I dare I use my liberty anymore as an excuse for sin. I'll never excuse sin anymore. I've received what he's done for me. Out of love, I am bound to love him, to serve him, to frame my life around him. You know, I once met a young man who came to this church a a number of years ago, about two two or so years ago, two and a half years ago. I won't mention his name. It was before many were here, actually. And he came and he seemed very earnest. Uh, He was very much in the new Calvinist camp. Uh, and he, he said, well, I'm in a, I've got a girlfriend, and she's not a believer. And 
uh, I said, well, and I, I took him through scripture, and I said, well, you, you do know that you must be equally yoked. And you must do so within the confines of marriage. You must be equally yoked in marriage. Because the one, it will, that person will take you far away from the Lord. And he said very, very confidently, well, uh, I, I'll make her a Christian. She'll become a Christian. And I said, I said, you can't do that. I said, who is Lord of your life? Do you love the Lord? Is he more than girlfriend? More than father, wife, children? Does he mean more than everything? Have you closed with the Lord? And, and we, when he used to come, I used to encourage him, you must, you must stand for the Lord. And sad to say, he kept on compromising. And one night I got a phone call from this young man. And he said to me, and I spoke, I spoke to him for a good hour on the phone. And I, I was almost brought to tears. Because he said to me, well, my father and my family... He said, well, they said I should marry her. And this is a, a, a complete unbeliever. Someone who, who doesn't want, she even said, I don't want to become a Christian. And, and he said, well, he said, my, my, my dad and my family said, just marry her. You've been with her long enough. Just marry her. It's too late now. And, I said, I, and they were very liberal Christians. And I said, if you do that, she's going to take you far away from the Lord. And you know, he did go on to marry her, and I've never seen him since, this person. Ever he's gone, as it were. And you must ask the question. I mean, I hope he is the Lord's, Lord's but you must ask him, yourself a question. Did he receive costly grace or cheap grace? There is a, there is a cost for discipleship, dear, dearly beloved. Ownership means you don't make, you and I don't make our own decisions anymore. And I'm not talking about what we should pick for dinner or choose thing. I'm talking about the big questions in life. How we live our day-to-day lives. How our lives are framed. Costly grace means that we're under new ownership, new management. The Lord has our hearts. Everything is based and conformed around the word of God now. It's not based upon our feelings. It's not based upon how, what this Christian says or that Christian says. Yes, we can receive counsel as long as it fits in with the word of God. But Christians, some Christians, as, as wonderfully as they're used of the Lord, great Christians can sometimes get it wrong. Our decisions are based upon the word of the living God. That's what, what our lives must be conformed to. His words and promises will never let us down. You see, friends, with cheap grace, there's no ownership. No ownership at all. There's no leaving all to follow Christ. There's no sacrificing everything to serve Jesus Christ with our lives because of his sacrifice over us out of love. There's no denying ourselves daily and taking our cross and mortifying sin. There's no such thing as holiness, sanctification of life. These things, to those who are under cheap grace, are almost things which make them shrink. In short, with cheap grace, there's no cost of discipleship. Cheap grace sells a comfortable Christianity, a worldly Christianity, unholy, feelings-based Christianity. Salvation is sold as an insurance Backup plan, as it were, 
well, you need this insurance backup plan just in case. It's not a life, a life for a life. God gave me his holy life. That's how bad my sin is. You think of the Old Testament when the covenant-keeping Jew of faith was to bring that lamb to the priest and he was to see that lamb being sacrificed over his sin and cut up and devoured and the blood's being spilt. And he would look upon that and think, this is the cost of my sin. This is the horrors of my sin. This is how bad my depravity is. Every part of me has been affected. So bad is my sin that it took God himself to step into time and history and to suffer and die in my place. Such is my sin. It demands my life. It demands my all. Such love, friends. A life for a life, no less. Well, this brings us now to our second point. Cost. Cost, you are bought. You are, you are purchased. You are bought with a price. True salvation is incredibly costly. What's the price of our salvation, of your salvation, of my salvation? Well, according to the word of God in 1 Peter 18.20, the price of a Christian salvation is priceless. This world cannot afford it. It cannot be bought with men's money. It, is, it has to come from looking outside of ourselves. 1 Peter 18.20 For as much as you know that you were not redeemed, you were not bought with the corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. You were not saved of your own doing. I've heard some ministers say that God sees something in you. He sees that there's some good in you. He doesn't see anything. He sees that our own righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight. We cannot bring anything to the table. Our hearts are desperately wicked. We're dead, dead in trespasses and sins. But yet it cost him. We were redeemed, bought, not with the corruptible things of this world. We cannot buy people's favor. We cannot buy people's redemption. No, dear friends, we need God to buy, to redeem us, to suffer for us. He did suffer for us on that cross. And it says, but, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, the precious blood of the lamb. We think of that lamb without blemish, the holy lamb. Behold, the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, the holy one. God manifest, as it were, living amongst us, the holy, spotless Lamb, where all the types and the pictures point to this Lamb, this one without sin. And I know it's a poor illustration, but I I think it gives us something of a picture. It's like taking a little two-year-old child and taking them into a filthy nightclub And that child will be in horror as they see all the filth and wickedness and darkness around them. But may imagine the spotless, pure, 
holy God, Lamb of God, who cannot look upon sin, becoming sin, who knew no sin. That, friends, is a love that conquers all. That love you can know of today. You can receive that love today, friends. If you would but believe in this costly grace that it was for you, for every single sin, every single failure, every, every single sinful thought, deed. He bore that on the weight on the cross of Calvary, friends. The full weight of every single sinner, both Jew and Gentile, throughout the world who would come to believe upon him by faith. He bore that. God the Father poured out his wrath, his just indignation upon the Son, the Lamb, the Holy One, Dear friends, and he was made sin who knew no sin to reconcile us wretches to God. The lamb was, was the, the, the pure holy lamb was made sin who knew no sin. It cost him everything. God gave his best, his only begotten son. And what have we given? What, what's the cost of our grace? What have we sacrificed in our lives? Have we received this costly grace? Friends, has it radically transformed us? I'm not saying that we are justified by anything in our lives. But through his, through his sacrifice, through his costly grace, has it transformed us? A life for a life and nothing less. That's, that's what it must do. There must be a true turning, who verily was foredained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Before the foundation of the world, God knew how we would treat him. God knew how we would break his laws. God knew our wickedness, our sin, our depravity, and yet he still willingly came and suffered for us, dear friends. Romans 5, 7 through 10 says, For scarcely for a righteous man one will die. For poor adventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sinners. We ignored him. Ignored his laws. Lived in sin. Ignored the purpose to our lives says much more than being justified by his blood we shall be saved from his saved from wrath through him for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life does this sound dear friends like cheap grace to you it doesn't does it this is costly Grace. This cost God everything, dear friends. It was not the Jews that pegged him to that accursed tree. It was our sin. It was our sin, dear friends. It was your sin. It was my sin that made him go there to suffer. Will you believe, dear friends, in this costly grace, through Christ, by faith alone, in him? Will you believe Will you truly turn?
turn. You who are yet still in sin, still unconverted, will you truly this day turn from your sin and truly receive this costly salvation, this costly grace? It will be yours. God will radically change your life. But you must believe. You must believe this was for you in a very personal, intimate way. Well, if you will, today's third point will be true of you. And that is thirdly, love. We thought about ownership. We thought about cost. Now, thirdly, love. You will never, you will know the power of Christ's love in your heart and in your mind. And it's Christ's love completely overwhelming and transforming every part of your life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I once, I once met a man who said to me, the, the, someone came up to me one day and he showed me John 3.16. This was someone who was outside of Christ and he said, he said to me, have you, have you read this? And I said, no. And he said, I'll read it to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he said, take that word world away and put you there. And he read it and said, For God so loved me. God loved me. Yes, me. The chief of sinners. He loved all types of people in the world. Even me. With all my failures. My failures as a father. My failures as a husband. My failures as a wife. As a child. With all my sins. He loved me. He gave himself utterly for me. And that man came to be converted because he believed in this costly grace, you see, friends. This costly grace, costly grace and love will make you to love that which you used to hate. You'll be given new principles and desires. Don't come and wait and say, well, only if I can overcome this in my life and I can overcome that in my life and I need to reform myself. You're never, ever going to be converted, friends. Come as you are, as a poor, wretched, hell-deserving servant like I did. When I was in my 20s, I cried out to the Lord on a train station in Fidenza. I said, Lord, save me, save me, save this poor man. I pleaded with God to save me, and he saved me. I was living far away from God in sins, dear friends. I pleaded like I'd never pleaded before. And I know he saved me by his costly grace. Because the indwelling of the Spirit tells me that. Uh, that I'm his. I have new desires and principles. And this is true of every child of God. Has this happened to you? Don't wait. Come as you are. Plead. Do as Jacob did. Wrestle all night until you know assuredly that you're his and you've received this costly grace. You must receive it this way, friends. You will then say as the psalmist did in Psalm 48, 
I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yes, thy law is within my heart. The things which you used to hate, you start to love. It's not that you ever fall again and you ever let the Lord down. Of course we do. But we're very mindful of those corruptions and those besettings. But you, you do love. You do love that which you used to hate. Pleasure will be had in God's service. When receiving costly grace, there will be pleasure. You want to be with God's people. You want to serve God wholeheartedly. You want to be found with God's people. At home, you want your day-to-day life to be framed around the things of God. You want to have family devotional time. You want to have quiet time in the morning. These things will be a delight to you because of costly grace. A love will be given for God's law. The Lord Jesus even said it. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's not a a burdensome thing to keep God's uh, day holy. It's not a burdensome thing. It's a delight. I love, I want to be with God's people. I want to be worshipping the Lord. If people will, will offer for me to go traveling around the world, and to go to these grand, no, I'd rather be amongst God's people to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt for a season. No, I want to be with God's people. I want to worship my triune God, my Savior. Because of his love. You see, friends, I want to be with his people. I, I love his causes. I love who he is. I, like Abraham, I draw nigh to him to find out the character of my God. That he's a merciful, loving, patient God. Forbearing God. I want to serve this God willingly. Yes, I'm no longer under the law. I've got liberty now, but I want to live for him. Have you received this costly grace, friends? You will love the Lord much because you've been given much costly grace and forgiven much. You will love much. Costly grace comes adorned and beautified with holy love. It's a holy love. It's not a love... A lot of people mistake the the love of the world with the love of Christ. It's not the same. It's a holy love. The the world doesn't understand the the, the love that comes from Christ. It's a holy love. It's a a love that when we are afflicted and we're sorry, we can still really, in, in sickness, we can still have the sweetness of Christ. We can, doesn't matter if we're in the prison, we can sing to the Lord because we've got this love. Costly grace, dear friends, comes with this beautified, holy love. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. God's sheep hear his voice. Do you hear his voice? Not through me, but through the word of God. Do you hear him? It's not just about doctrine. Doctrine is important, but do you hear the good shepherd's voice? I hear the Savior calling me. Unto thee, calling me to greater lengths of service, greater lengths of love. Do you hear the good shepherd's voice? Nothing hinders a man from the ways of godliness and closing with Christ more than the fear that they'll lose out on some pleasure. That's what it comes down to, doesn't it? That's what it comes down to. I know this was true of me. 
When I saw people in my family being converted, Jason, my brother, I saw my sister being converted. I saw God moving in their hearts and in their lives. And I thought, well, if, if, I, if I seek this Lord, I'm going to lose out on some pleasure. I, I viewed the Christian life as a boring life. It's, it's a stuffy life. <laughs> the opposite is true, isn't it? <laughs> if you've been a Christian for any life length of time, it's a great adventure, is, is it not? We have eternal joys, solid joys. Do we not, friends? The ways of costly grace in Christ, friends, they are the ways of exercised faith. Grace, costly grace and obedience are the ways of the, to have fullness of joy. Fullness. There's a full joy there. It's not a fleeting joy anymore. It's a full joy, a lasting joy. You wake up in the morning, you've got a bit of a step. You may be undergoing many difficulties, but you're in the Lord. There's a fullness there. For the worldling, I'm just, I, what, this is what I used to do. Live for the weekend, approach. Live for the week on Monday, again. Oh, I have to go through another week. Oh, my woe, woe is me. All these things, that, that was me. But you see, with a believer, every day is a weekend. Every day is a great day. I wake up and I've got this fullness in my heart. Because of Jesus Christ, my Lord. He is Lord of all. Guides me, speaks to me, helps me, blesses me, loves me. This costly grace to enjoy pleasures with Christ forevermore at thy right hand. Oh friends, don't allow the loss of pleasures, as it were, to hinder you. I'm afraid to say that's many who have gone for the cheap grace gospel. I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose out if I take Give these things over to the Lord. It's got to be everything. Life for a life. You've got to be all in, as, 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 as it were. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. Psalm 84.1 They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. Thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. Psalm 36.8 Rivers of pleasures, rivers of God's costly grace for eternity, the believer will enjoy. Paradise. You looking forward to it? Or are you in dread of that day of judgment, dear friends? For the believer, we want the Lord to come back now. I want the Lord to come back now. I want to be with the Lord. To know of God's love and costly grace is not only to keep oneself by God's grace unspotted from this world. I've never seen a sheep, as it were, playing in the mire, wallowing in the mire, shaking itself off and going. It's not just about keeping oneself unspotted. Like I said, common grace, you have many people who are very kind and nice and civil, civil people, even better than Christians, many Christians. That's not what it is to be a believer. But it is also through costly grace to love righteousness, godliness, holiness, which is in Christ, and to be found therein, a doer thereof. For with such costly grace that are the children of God 
justified and manifest, really. The love of the brethren. Beloved, Christ's love to us was sacrificial. He gave his holy life for our wretched, sinful lives. He gave his best. What have we sacrificed for the Lord, dear friends? How deep is our love? How costly is our grace? I'm not saying that it it justifies us. But has has God's sacrifice through Christ changed us? Or are we loath to give up our time, our, our lives? A life for a life. It's got to be. Life for a life. Costly grace in Christ demands our very lives. Does it not? A life for a life. And what a joy it is, friends, to receive such matchless, priceless, costly grace. Any mockings and the things, afflictions that we have to go through as Christians, and we will, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of heaven. We will go through many pain, much suffering and pain as believers. But it's all worth it in the end because our Saviour is with us. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4.17 An eternal weight of glory. Our reward, our rest, is in glory. God owns us fully. We belong to him. We are his peculiar people. We are the apple of his eye. He has set his love upon us. Have you received him? God's love in Christ has given us all things. We believe in it. Have you believed in it? Will you live in it? Can you say that you thirst and hungered for the living God? For his costly grace. Do you say with Peter, Lord, wash not only my feet, but my, but my head. Wash, wash every part of me. I want this costly grace. I, just don't, I don't want just want a part of my life sanctified. I want the whole, everything. I want a complete salvation, a finished salvation in Christ. You've got to come with everything. Life for a life. Holy taking hold upon the Lamb of God by faith. And the great cost of which he laid down his life. In conclusion, Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call unto me. And I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Amen. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.